Good morning. It's great to see all of you here. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining us online. If you have your Bible, go ahead and pull that out. And we are going to go to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings is where we, as we continue this series we began last week, and this is the series that leads us up to and through Easter Sunday, uh, and it's called the Seventh Resurrection. As you go through uh, the biblical narrative, you'll see that Jesus' resurrection is the seventh time in the Bible that someone who had died comes back to life. And so we're looking at all seven of these uh, events that happen in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We're going in chronological order. So last week, we looked at the very first one. And we saw last week that there was this prophet named Elijah. And Elijah had come into this village called Zarephath. And there was a great famine in the land that Elijah himself was the one that God had used to call that famine down. And because God was disciplining his people Israel for their apostasy and falling away from God and worshiping these false gods, so Elijah comes into this town, there's this widow here that God calls to feed Elijah, even though it's the middle of a famine. Well, she does, and God performs this miracle that causes her, her jar and jug of flour and oil to never run out during the famine. It's just an amazing miracle of God. But then this widow's son dies. Well, Elijah is used by God to raise this son back from the dead. So the first time this, is, this has happened in the biblical history. Well, today we get to the second account, and that's going to involve this prophet named Elisha, who is kind of Elijah's successor. And so we're going to look at Elisha today and next Sunday as we continue in this series looking at these resurrections. But as we, as we look at these resurrections, uh, we, are, we, we do have a main theme for each one. Last week was faithfulness, that God is always faithful. And that's true, amen? He is always faithful. There's never, there never has been a time, there never will be a time when God does not honor his promises, where God is not faithful to you. That will never happen. Today we're looking at uh, this second theme, and that is this, this theme of hope. And so if you have your Bible there, Second Kings chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to start by looking at verse 8, and we're going to go to the end of this story uh, in about verse uh, 39. So if you could please stand and honor the reading of God's word. And I'm not going to read all this because it's quite lengthy, but verse 8 starts off that one day Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. And so whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And so she says, behold, I know, I know this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. So let's make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So anyway, so just make a story short, Elisha's blessed by this and asks her, what can he do for her? And he recognizes she has no children. So he tells her she's going to have a child. And she, she ends up having a child the next year. So verse, you go down to verse 17, the woman conceived as she bore a son about that time, the following spring as Elisha had said to her. We get to verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to the servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat upon her lap till, till noon and he died. So she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. 
And she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys. Let him quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, There is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and and say to her, is all well with you and is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain, the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came and pushed her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And so she said, "Did did I ask my Lord for a son? And did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. So the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her and Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet Elisha and told him the child has not awakened. So when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed for the Lord. And then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, eyes on his eyes, hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. And so he got up again and walked once back and forth into the house and went up and stretched himself upon a child again. And the child sneezed seven times. And then the child opened his eyes. And he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. So she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And she went and picked up her son and went out. Let's pray. Lord, what a powerful historical account. Your power to bring life out of death. Your power to provide hope and create hope when There seems to be no cause for hope when there seems to be nothing but despair and loss. Lord, we need this in our lives. We need the gospel because the gospel is all about this hope, this power, your faithfulness, about you bringing life out of death. Because God, every one of us are born spiritually dead and we need you to to raise us, to give us life through faith. So Lord, I just pray you use our time together this morning just to Build that faith, maybe for some here or some watching online, to initially give that faith that saves us, the faith that converts us to be a follower of Jesus, the faith that brings about forgiveness of sin and a life filled with purpose as we begin to follow you. So, Lord, we need you every moment, every season of our lives, and, Lord, there's no difference in that right now, this moment. So, God, meet with us here. Accomplish your purpose in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, go ahead and be seated. So we meet Elisha. Now we don't know, maybe you don't know a lot about Elisha. We haven't really taken time to unpack who this guy is, but uh, we first meet Elisha when Elijah's 
doing his thing and being a prophet. Elisha is just drawn to Elijah and uh, can be kind of confusing. Elijah, Elisha, you know, the very similar, just one letter difference. Uh, but Elisha is the second guy. I always, I always remember it. Elisha has an S, S for second. That's the way I remember it. He's the second one, right? So Elisha is drawn to Elijah, but Elijah, he's a man of renown. I mean, God had done some amazing things through Elijah. He had used Elijah to call down famine. He, Elijah's the guy we talked about last week, how he challenged 450 prophets of the false god Baal at Mount Carmel and, and totally, totally just wrecked their day, right? I mean, literally, they, 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 they got killed that day. So it was a, I mean, he just, he reigned. He, he opened up a can of kicktail, right? It was great. And so God showed off and was just majorly glorified through Elijah time and time again. Toward the end of Elijah's ministry, Elijah comes to him and Elisha wants to follow him, and Elijah always tries to talk him out of it. No, go away. You don't, you don't want to do this. This is a hard life. So he tries to talk him out of it, but Elisha is just, it's called. He's, he's drawn. He's driven. So finally, Elisha, on the last day that Elijah is on earth, Elisha says, please give me a double portion of your spirit. So Elijah says, well, I tell you what, if you're with me when you see me ascend into heaven, you will get that double portion. So Elisha sticks to him like glue. And sure enough, that day Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind on a chariot of fire into heaven. Elijah is one of the few guys we see in the scripture that never died. God just takes him up in a chariot of fire. And Elisha's there. He watches this and he receives this double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so everything Elijah did, Elisha did twice as much. We'll talk more about that next week. But this is one such episode where Elisha, just like Elijah had raised the, the son of the widow at Zarephath. Now, Elisha raises the son of the Shunammite woman. There's hope. And we're going to see some incredible things about hope in the Shunammite lady. So let's first look at our big thought. If you have your notes with you, you can pull those out, either on the app or the, the physical notes you got for those of you in the room who came in here. But the big thought is this, this second Resurrection reveals to us the genuine and powerful hope that we have in God. A hope that can transcend anything that comes our way. Well, don't we need that? There's some crazy stuff, crazy tough stuff that happens in our life, isn't there? There's financial woes, there's marriage problems, there's kids not doing what we want them to do, there's unexpected, untimely death. There's just all this hard stuff. There's job layoffs. There's COVID-19. There's Ukrainian war and a fear of possible World War III. There's some tough stuff that we deal with. It is easy for people to get down. It is easy to get depressed. As we just look at life and the hardships of life, it's easy for us to go that direction. But we have a God who's just all-powerful. We have a God who's almighty, who is in control, who loves us deeply and gives us his hope. So let's first look at number one in your notes, the hope that blesses others. So a lot of hope built in this passage, a lot of hope. First, we see that those of us, those who have hope, those with hope, um, seek to bless others. So this Shunammite woman, she's, she's well off. She's done well. God has blessed her in her life, her and her husband, they have, they have plenty of space in their home. They have some financial means about them. And so here, 
Elisha travels a lot, and so this woman seeks to be a blessing. She's not asked to do this. She's not invited to do this. This is just something she is led to do by the Lord, or she just has this idea to be hospitable. But she says, hey, let's, let's expand our house, or let's, let's fix up this room for Elisha so that when he travels in and out, he has a place to stay. He doesn't have to worry about having to ask someone to stay at their place. He always has a home away from home. And so they do that. They set up this little, this rib, this room for him. Got a bed, got a table, got a chair, a lamp, you know, all the amenities needed. Of course, this is before, you know, flat screen TVs and all the other things we would, we would want to have in a place where we live. But he had everything he needed, he could have wanted, was right here in this bedroom. This lady was providing. And that's the way it works for us as believers. When God first showed up in Abram's life, there's a promise that God made to him. It says, look, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to dishonor him who dishonors you. But in you, through my blessing of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So see, this Shunammite woman, she got something that we need to be reminded of over and over. The blessings we receive from God are intended to make us grateful to God and then intentional and then being a blessing to others. The blessings I get are not just for me. It's for me then to in turn bless others. Amen? That's why God blesses us. So Abram was to understand that I'm not just being blessed just for me to hoard all these blessings, right? And for me to enjoy all these blessings, although that's true, we do enjoy them, but that through me blessing you, God is saying, now I want you to bless others. And the ultimate blessing that God would give Abraham would be a son, Isaac. And through that son, yes, then Abraham was gonna be a blessing to the all nations because through that line comes Jesus Christ, the blessing to all of us, who saves us, who redeems us. So we receive blessing to give blessing. The Shunammite woman, she got that, to be that blessing. And first we see she blesses with hospitality, welcomes Elisha into her home over and over again. She knows her home is not just her home. It's God's place, that God owns it, to use it. And that's a good thing for us to be reminded of, that we are not owners, we're managers. You may think, well, I own my home. Well, really, God owns your home. We're stewards, we manage. God, God lets us live there, gives us the jobs to pay for it and all that or whatever money you use to pay for it or maybe you're still paying for it like me. But God gives us those means, right? But it's all his. The Shunammite woman understood that to give with hospitality. And Paul says in Romans, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. She's something we as believers seek to do for one another. Secondly, we see repaying kindness. We didn't read this part, but Elijah comes to the lady. He's grateful. He recognizes that she has been blessed by God, and now she's being a blessing to Elisha. And now he recognizes, I want to bless her. Not because he owes her back, not because he has to pay her back. We can get into that mindset, right? That, oh, someone can't bless me without me blessing them in return. How many of you thought like that before? Well, they had us over. Now we got to have them over. You know, oh, they gave me a Christmas card. Now I got to give them one. Or they gave me a birthday present. Now I got to give them one. You kind of get this attitude like, gosh, now I got to give them one, right? It's almost like that was a curse, them giving you something. And that a, that's a sad way to think. You know, we, don't, we should not have to think like that. It is okay for people to bless you. If people, if do something out of kindness for you, don't immediately feel like you've got to reciprocate that and bless them back just because you think you owe them. Now, 
if you think you want to do it just because you love and appreciate, that's fine. But don't do it out of the sense of obligation, duty, like I'm guilty because they've actually given something to me. It is okay for someone to give you something. It is okay to let someone bless you. Amen? Uh, I'm not sure y'all are convinced. (laughs) It is okay to let someone bless you. Amen? Because they're not doing it just for you. They're doing it for the Lord. It is out of their relationship with God that they want to choose to seek to be a blessing. Sometimes it's good just to let that stand and not immediately try to pay them back or reciprocate a blessing. Just let them bless you. They are blessed for it. But in time, when it's appropriate and there's the opportunity for you to bless them, absolutely. Here, Elisha, I'm not sure he really did it just because he felt guilty. Not at all. He did it because he was just really moved by the ongoing hospitality lady. So now he sees a need. She doesn't have a child and he wants to bless her. He has the opportunity and the potential through his relationship with God that God is leading and directing to bless her with something that she can't do for herself. That is ask God to give her a child. So he seeks that to reciprocate that kindness, not out of duty, obligation, or to pay back, but out of love, out of blessing of God, out of opportunity to repay that kindness. And so Zechariah tells us in the Old Testament, God says, render the judge, true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Paul commands in Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Here, Elisha wants to honor this family because they've been so kind, so godly in their hospitality toward him. And so he tells her, you're gonna have a son this time next season. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. It seemed so out there. It seemed so impossible. She had all but given up hope that she would ever have a child. But here, Elisha, this man of God, declares this to be true. And we see a year later, it happened just as Elisha had said to her it would. He repaid her that kindness. And then we also see that those with hope meet needs. Elisha saw that need. She didn't have to go ask him. There was no one who said, hey, Elisha, you need to meet a need for someone. You need to meet a need for this, this Shunammite woman. No, Elisha was stirred and he took the initiative. People with hope take the initiative to meet needs of others. We don't wait to be asked. We don't wait to be prodded. We take the initiative because we have hope. And because we have hope, we, want to, we see a lack of hope maybe in someone else or an issue that they need to be met and satisfied. We should take the initiative to meet that need. This is a great church of volunteers. You know, you always hear in church ministry stuff, you know, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right, in a church. That's definitely not true here. There's a lot of great servants. I'm looking at them. A lot of you are just great servants, volunteers, right? And, but I've always said, I, I dreamed of the church that they all come, we don't need a nominating committee. We don't need a team to try to go ask people to do things. But people are just flooding us with, hey, I know you still need nursery workers. Sign me up. I will work three weeks a month if I have to. 
right? Or, you know, hey, we got, um, we, I know we need greeters and parking attendants. Sign us up. We all want to help and we all want to serve, right? Now, some of you have done that. But for that to be like the pattern, the norm would be amazing, right? For we are, every, all of us, we're looking, seizing, taking the initiative and opportunity because we see needs and we meet them. That's what we're just called to do. That's what Elisha does here. See, in 1 John, says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's That's a convicting question, isn't it? It's a convicting question. Are we quick to respond to these needs? Well, all of this sets up the big climactic moment of this historical account. This lady has the child. He's growing, he's, he's grown up, he's a young adult, maybe a teenager, maybe 16, 17, out in the field with his dad and something happens. We don't know what causes his head to hurt. We don't know the diagnosis. We don't know if he's, you know, got a hemorrhage or we just don't know. We start saying, my head, my head, and he, it hurts. And the dad definitely recognizes something's wrong and so takes him to his mama. The dad leaves the picture, I don't know what's up with that. Your son's dying. All right, so I got to go back to work. Anyway, so he goes back. He's out of the picture. So the mom has this, this her son, and he dies. And it's just this, this really tragic moment. And it seems like her hope would just diminish. But notice what happens. And we see here, number two, and you notice that this hope prevents despair. So the father brings a sick child back. And then leaves, doesn't know that he's, he's dead or dying. And so she goes up, and there's several times she's asked the question, or she initiates this, this statement to say, all is well. Did you notice that as we read the text, right? Even, even when the father sends question, hey, is everything okay? Yes, all is well. I say, no, <laughs> your son's just died. All is not well. And as she's riding out to see the, the man of God, Elisha, and his servant, Gehazi, Gehazi goes back, and first he, there's this interchange between Gehazi and the woman. And Gehazi even brings the question from Elisha, are you well? Is your husband well? Is your child well? And what does she say? All is well. She just lied, right? Or is there something else going on? Does she perhaps have this amazing hope that if she can just get the child to Elisha or get Elisha to the child, that maybe what, no doubt she probably heard about, what happened in Zarephath with Elijah could also happen here with Elisha. Could it be if she could just get the man of God to her son, her son would be okay? Did she have that kind of hope? That kind of hope that even though death has happened and there's only been one moment in all of history where someone who had died had come back to life, could she be number two? Could her son be number two? Perhaps she held on to that kind of crazy, optimistic, fervent, Fierce, unrelenting hope. Well, that's driven by faith. Did she believe God could do that? Did she believe God would do that? So let's talk about faith. What is faith? 
So her whole posture, all as well, shows that she had a hope, and that hope was driven by something. No doubt that hope was driven by faith. Here's what we see. We see a direct link between our level of hope and our level of faith. The more faith you have in God, the more hope you have in life. If you find yourself having a big hope problem, then you also probably have a significant faith problem. So what is faith? Well, Hebrews defines faith for us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Let's break that down. What does that mean? What do we hope for? What do you hope for from God? You hope for everlasting life? You can respond. It's okay. Yes. Do you hope for forgiveness of all your sin? Yes. Do you hope for purpose in this life? Yes. Do you hope for blessing? Yes. There's all these things we hope for. Well, faith is the assurance of those things. Faith is, I know I have everlasting life because of Christ. Faith is, I know I am forgiven because of Christ. Faith is, I know I have purpose now because of Christ. Faith is that assurance. Old King James says, the substance of things hoped for. It's the stuff we hope for. That we're a, it is a sure thing. It is certainty that's going to happen. And he goes on, the conviction of things not seen, that what I can't see is, again, other translations say the evidence of things not seen. We, we haven't seen God, right? But there's evidence that he is, much evidence, biblical evidence, physical evidence, faith journey, testimonial evidence. There's all this evidence that screams of God and who God is. So faith is that assurance of the things we hope from God and the conviction that he is, even though we can't see him. That's faith. Heard a message lately from a guy named Ben Mandrell. He defined faith as this. Faith is unrelenting optimism. In other words, faith manifests itself in this crazy hope, right? This incredible hope that this woman had, even though her son was dead, three times she responds, all is well. It's going to be okay. It's like Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham? I mean, he had just been through 20 years of craziness. God had promised him a son, Isaac, and finally he had a son, Isaac. And now his son, Isaac, was a young boy, maybe 10 or 11 years old, the son of promise. Everything that God had promised to Abraham was manifested in this son, Isaac. Everything God said was going to happen through Abraham would be continued on through Isaac. So, like, all this promise of God, all his plans, all this hope that Abraham had was all kind of embodied, right, in this son named Isaac. And then you get to Genesis 22. What does God tell Abraham to do with Isaac? Sacrifice him. Like, what? So Abraham, you know, doesn't, I mean, he doesn't even blink. He doesn't hesitate. So he, he tells Sarah, hey, we're going to go to a mountain and worship God. Sarah's like, okay. So he takes Isaac, has their servants with him, and so they travel. They get to this mountain, and he stops, and he tells his servants, he says, y'all wait here. 
the boy and I, and I love this, he said, we're going to go yonder. Abraham was a southern boy. We're going to go yonder and worship God on that mountain. And then when we come back, he says, when we come back, we'll go back home. So sort of say, okay. You see, even right there, Abraham just had this hope, this awareness, this rock-solid, fierce optimism that nothing, I didn't do that, by the way. Didn't touch it. Um, anyway, this fierce optimism that everything was going to be okay, that even though it seemed like nothing was going the direction that God wanted, th- that he wanted things to go, that God was going to take care of it, that God was going to make sure that God's word was fulfilled, because that's what God does. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the same chapter of the faith, it even says that Abraham knew that even if he did kill Isaac, that God could raise him from the dead. That Abraham had that awareness. That was before the widow at Zarephath happened. There had been no precedent of a dead person coming back to life. Yet Abraham believed that God could do that. That fierce optimism. It's always going to work out. How many of you are familiar with the animation company called Pixar? Pretty cool story. Um, so Steve Jobs was the CEO of Apple at the time, and they kind of had the, they were kind of over Pixar, but Disney wanted to buy Pixar because Pixar was like the best in animation. Disney know, knew and knows that as animation, as animation goes, so goes Disney. So they wanted the best. So they wanted to buy Pixar. So one day the, uh, the CEO of Disney named Roger Iger at the time, he called Steve Jobs, just Nervous about this, you know, how it's going to go. But he calls Steve Jobs and said, Hey, what would you think about Disney buying out Pixar? He was surprised when Steve Jobs says, You know, it's not the craziest idea I've ever heard. And Disney bought Pixar. In response to that, Robert Iger, he writes this book and he says in this book, after telling that story, he says, Sometimes long shots aren't as nearly long as they seem. In other words, there's room for some fierce, unrelenting optimism. There's some room in our lives for crazy hope. There's rooms to let ourselves think about how big God is and how what there is nothing, just say nothing. There's nothing God can't do through you right? We tend to impose all these limitations on God. We tend to impose all these thoughts of despair, all these thoughts of a lack of hope on God. This Shunammite woman, all is well. Her son was dead. All is well. God's bigger than my problem. God's bigger than the death of my son. God's bigger than my hopelessness. You know what? God's bigger than your problems too and my problems. Amen. God's bigger than our bank account, thankfully. God's bigger than our marriage woes. God's bigger than my loneliness. God's bigger than my fear of what could happen to my kids. God's God's bigger than this war between Russia and Ukraine. God's bigger than COVID-19. God's bigger than all of that. 
There's nothing that my God, the God, can't handle. All is well. Just say that. All is well. All is well. It may not feel like, I can guarantee you this Shunammite woman didn't feel like all was well, but she was acting on her faith. She was acting upon this fierce, unrelenting optimism driven by her rock-solid faith in God based on the the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen based on the evidence of testimonies where she had heard another man of God raise another widow's son from the dead. So why couldn't God do it now? He can. And he did. And God can move mountains through our faith. Didn't Jesus say that? If you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain to move, and what does it do? Moves. Faith is powerful. Faith is driven by our hope. What does that look like here in our church? A fierce, unrelenting optimism means in the face of COVID and war, hey, we're going to continue to take the gospel forward. We're going to take risks, right? We're going to ask God for big things. We're going to step out in faith for big things for God. That's what unrelenting optimism looks like. What is it like for your family? What does it look like in your family? It's a great homework assignment. Y'all talk about this this week. What does it look like in your family If your family has a fierce, unrelenting optimism in the Lord, what does crazy hope look like in your family? At work. What does it look like in your workplace? What does it look like in your education? What does it look like, especially for the college students here and teenagers, what does it look like for your future? What can God do through you? Don't put a limit on God. God is unlimited. And that means when you completely avail yourself to God, what God can do through you is unlimited. Well, I recently did some research, right, kind of coming out of COVID-19. They interviewed over 1,000 pastors. This is tragic, but it's what they found. The greatest need that pastors have This is in the last six months. 66%, two-thirds of the pastors said this is their greatest struggle. Struggling, trusting in God. Pastors. 66% of pastors are struggling to have this optimism. Struggling to have hope. Struggling to have this sense that God is not limited. So if pastors are struggling with it, we know the rest of us are too, right? Don't struggle with the faith. Let the faith drive hope. We see this. Go to the next slide, just please. Shelly, if you have, yeah. Hope never gives up. So here, this woman, notice her tenacity. She was acting on her faith. She was acting on this hope. So she goes up, she, Gehazi comes and asks all the questions and all is well, but she gets to Elisha. What does she do with Elisha? She runs and she grabs him. She grabs his feet, she grabs his legs and she's holding on for dear life. And so Elisha says, oh, God has hidden this from me. I didn't see it. Gehazi, go, take my staff, run, get there, lay the staff on the kid. And this woman says, I'm not leaving you. 
You're, you are my answer. You're God's man. God is the answer. God is the only one who can fix this. I can't fix this. Kahasi can't fix this. Your staff can't fix this. Only God through you can fix this. I am not leaving you. I am holding on. I am not giving up. And so she's holding on for dear life for her son. It's amazing. Hope never gives up. I remember when my wife and I, Tara, were, were planting that church in Nashville. Some hard times, you know. I remember when we first got there, we were, they were kind of talking about church planting, what it looked like to start a church. So we sat down with these other, these other pastors in the city called Murfreesboro. If you've ever been through Tennessee, we planted in Antioch, southeast side, wound down about another 20, 25 miles is Murfreesboro. Some of these pastors had planted this church in Murfreesboro. They tell us their story. They got a core group together, about eight people. They prayed, they fasted. They sent out all these mail outs. They announced their launch Sunday on Easter Sunday. And they were meeting at a YMCA there in Murfreesboro. Just as, you know, and then they said eight people and they, they launched that, that first Sunday and they had 360 people show up. And they never got below 200 in their church plant. We're like, wow, okay. So we pray. We fast, we send out a mailer, got to have eight people. We can do that, right? And so we, we pray, we fast. We, get, we had more than eight people assembled for our launch. We had 20-something. So I'm doing my math. Eight equals 326, proportion 25 to, you know, right? See what I'm saying? The, I'm expecting a big crowd. Hey, it's going to be awesome. And praise God, we had 100 people show up. But the next Sunday, we were down like to 50, and then, man, I grew that church down to 30. It was great, right? <laughs> Woo, hard times. Plant a church. We've been there five years. You know, Tara's great. She, she took over the children's ministry. In five years, my wife had been in four worship services. Every Sunday, nursery. Every Sunday, teaching, organizing volunteers. And these were... Great volunteers, but most of them had just become believers. They were all new believers. You know, they didn't know how this church thing was supposed to go and happen, right? They hadn't really been in church much, if at all. So they're, we're trying to build a, an entire church culture with all these you know, infants in Christ. And it was fun, but it was hard. It was frustrating. And there were some tough times in our marriage through that because we were just so stressed and always just working and worried and it was tough. There were some times we thought about throwing in the towel. You know, just, let's just, you know, do something else. It's hard. We kept coming back to, no, but God has called us to do this. So we came back to over and over again. And, this hope that God's able. We still held out that God still had big things coming, big things for us, people getting saved, people being discipled, people being sent out the gospel. Go to the next slide, please. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. It's been a huge verse for me in my life. This is a verse that drives that fierce, unrelenting optimism. Now, I quote this a lot. Now, to him, the Lord, right? Tell my God, to him who is able to do how much? Far more, far more abundantly 
than all that we ask or think. I love how the NIV says this, far more than we can possibly imagine. No limit to God's ability. None. According to the power that's at work where? In us. Christ in you, that hope of glory. That's the Shunammite lady. She's holding on. She's not giving up. It's a fierce, unrelenting optimism. It will be tested. You don't know how fierce your faith is until that faith is tested, right? Abraham did not know how fierce his faith was until God says, you go sacrifice Isaac. And the whole embodiment of his faith was challenged. We're seeing people come to faith in Senegal and West Africa, and immediately their faith is going to be challenged as they come and they tell their parents, they tell their families, hey, I am now a follower of Christ. I am no longer a Muslim. And there's immediate and long-lasting consequences. That faith is tested. Just because it's easier to be a Christian here doesn't mean that faith won't be tested. You come to faith in Christ, you're following Jesus, or you have revival going on in your life, and you've been a follower for a long time, but you're, you're just in a season where you're getting back serious with God again, and then you lose your job, or then you get cancer, or then you start having marriage trouble. Your faith is going to be tested, but that's when it grows. That's when The stuff in you comes out. This Shunammite woman, man, that faith is tested. Her son just died. What is she going to do? She holds on for dear life. It is a fierce optimism. All is well. All is well. We see number three. This is a beautiful ending. That hope is fulfilled. So the boy wakes up. Elisha summons Gehazi and says, call this Shunammite, call the lady, call this mama. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came, and this time she fell at his feet, but not holding on for dear life, she falls at his feet. In thanksgiving, gratitude, celebration. On the backside of our faith being tested, when that faith is fulfilled, when that hope is answered, do we circle back and say, Lord, thank you, praise God. Do we give God the glory? Do we give God the credit? When you've invested in your children and you've you've prayed for them, when they come to faith in Christ, do you take that time and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen? Amen. We see, you know, great things happen in our church family we've been praying for. Do we come back and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord? Do we bow at Jesus' feet and say, thank you? Do we regularly celebrate the hope that we have in Christ because of him saving us from our sin? Do we regularly say, hallelujah, Jesus, thank you? That's why Sundays are so good, just coming every Sunday to say that to the Lord, to sing that to the Lord, to praise Jesus about how good he is. Titus chapter two, verse 13 says, we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is, just as Isaac 
was the embodiment of that hope that Abraham had. That was just a foreshadowing. Isaac was a picture of the ultimate embodiment of our hope. That is Jesus. God himself. God in the flesh. How would you define your faith this morning as we wrap this up? Would you define your faith in the Lord as a a fierce, unrelenting optimism? That God is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think? Or is your faith kind of gotten knocked out of you a little bit? You know, John chapter 10, Jesus is having a conversation. He's talking to the Pharisees, but he says some pretty profound things here. He says in verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. Well, we know the thief, ultimately is Satan, the enemy. What does he want to steal? What does he want to kill? What does he want to destroy? Your faith. Your hope. See, he doesn't want you to have a fierce, unrelenting optimism. He wants you to have a doubtful, weak, pessimistic outlook on everything. Where you're doubting God, you have low faith, therefore you have low hope. That's where Satan wants you to hang out because... You'll never, t- you'll never take steps of risk you do that. You'll never strike up a conversation about faith with your neighbor because you'll be uh, too afraid it'll go badly. You won't go on mission trips because you'll fear of all the things that could go wrong. You won't invest in kingdom ventures because you're afraid you might need that extra little money yourself if a rainy day would ever come. Two completely different ways of thinking. And it matters. It matters. Yeah, the life's been beaten out of a lot of us. Tough things have happened. As Satan trying to steal, trying to kill, trying to destroy. Cling, the Shunammite woman, cling to the feet of Jesus. Hold on, grab on, latch on, don't let go. Tell him, I am not going anywhere without you. A Shunammite woman, she realized the source of her unrelenting, fierce optimism was in that person of Elisha. Because God, he was God's man. God was with him. For us, it's realizing that God's man is Jesus, God in the flesh. We grab on and we don't let go. You know what? As long as we're holding on to Jesus, all is well. Where's your faith at this morning? You have that kind of faith? In James chapter 1, it says, Do any of you doubt? Ask the Lord to give, and he will give liberally. What what does he give? He gives faith. He gives that trust, that confidence, that unrelenting optimism. So if you're here this morning or watching online and you've never trusted in Jesus, what a great first step. Trust in Jesus Christ this morning because he is the only one 
in existence and in all of history that is all powerful. He's the only one that we can always say he is able to do far more abundantly than we can think or imagine. No one else can we say that about. Do you trust in Jesus? If you have trusted in Jesus, maybe you just got a lot of struggles today with your faith, with your doubts, with hope. You would not categorize yourself as a hopeful person. Ask the Lord this morning to give you faith. The greater your faith, the greater your hope. There's a direct correlation. Let's stand and pray for you and with you. We're going to go into a time of response, time of commitment, time of prayer. Um, We're going to open the altar if you want to come and pray. Great. If you want to come and let one of the pastors pray with you, pray for you, we would love to do that. Whether it's for you to come to receive Christ or whether it's just to come and asking God for more faith or asking God for your son to have more faith, your daughter to have more faith, whatever it is, just come to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, we just pray this morning if there's anyone here in the room or watching online who's never trusted in you, who's never taken that first step of faith, God, let today be that day. They trust in you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior and King. Lord, become the King of their life, the King of their heart, because you are King. Just help them to acknowledge that. Lord, for those who have trusted in you, I just pray, God, you would give us more faith. That, God, you would stir in our hearts and give us this unrelenting, fierce optimism in you, knowing that you're able. That moves us to take maybe some greater steps in following you, exercising that faith, taking risks that normally we wouldn't take. Risking a conversation with someone at work, risking a conversation with a neighbor. God, risking a mission trip, risking big ventures here as a church family, Lord, for your glory, because we know you're a big God. So Lord, we just lay this time at your feet, asking for big things because you're a big God. So Lord, respond in a way that shows off your glory, that fixes our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.